Hello, I'm Ridhu Chandra. I'm a producer based in New York, and I just uh, completed working on a film called Becoming Cousteau. Well, I'd like to ask you, uh, what's it like down there? It's fantastic. Imagine having no weight. Imagine that this would be underwater. You would move like this, swimming in space above all your little friends. It's beautiful. When my friends and I started, it was for us the pleasure of discovering. I wanted to show what was in the sea so that people would love it. In order to go deeper, in order to stay longer, I became an inventor by necessity. People at that time had no idea what was going on under the surface. I had to put a camera in a housing, so I had to invent that too. That's when I understood the power of images. My films are no more just about beautiful little fish. I try to convince people that they have to do something about this. We are dealing with the fate of mankind. We began to see that the things that we had admired were beginning to decay. And we said, we have to do something. We have to enter the fight. Because you only really protect what you love. Is he a scientist, researcher, philosopher? He really looked like a man looking at the future. His motto was, we go see it for ourselves. Can you tell me what you think are your greatest accomplishments and your greatest failures? I am not interested in myself. I'm interested in the world outside. That is a trailer from the National Geographic documentary, Becoming Cousteau. And this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week, I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. This week, it is my pleasure to welcome the award-winning filmmaker Mridu Chandra, one of the producers of the Nat Geo documentary, Becoming Cousteau. The film brings to life the man behind the persona of legendary explorer Jacques Cousteau, and in the process reminds us that he was a man well ahead of his time in bringing climate change and environmental devastation to the world's attention. Mridu, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Uh, things are great. Um, we just finished a film, Becoming Cousteau. It's uh, coming out in theaters. Uh, we're, we're getting a lot of attention for the film, which we is all that we could have hoped for. Yeah, I think, uh, well, it's, uh, I believe to, it, what's well, releasing in the UK today, November 12th, I believe, uh, right. and uh, also released, has it already released in the US? It did. We released in the U.S. theatrically on October 22nd, Yeah. Uh, so just a few short weeks ago. Okay, well, well done. Congratulations on that. Um, I mean, it's, it's our usual first question on the, on the program. Um, 
And it, for some of us of a certain age, it seems like an, uh, an odd one, but uh, what is Becoming Cousteau all about? Maybe you can give us a synopsis for our listeners who haven't had a chance to see it. Becoming Cousteau is a feature documentary about the life of Jacques-Yves Cousteau, um, who many people may remember if they grew up watching his television show that aired uh, across the world in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, through the 90s until he passed away. But it's also um, for the next generation that don't really remember his life mm. and um, the legacy. So that's what we hope to bring out in the film. Okay. Well, um, uh, you indeed have achieved that. Um, I mean, could, maybe you can, some of those lists, this, these new generations you were referencing, maybe you can give them a sense of who Cousteau was. I mean, and he, the stardom that he had. I mean, for someone like me, he was, he was almost godlike. But, uh, you know, maybe you can sort of set the stage. Sure. Um, Cousteau is what, you know, Cousteau, the way many of us remember him, who knew him, um, was one of the biggest television celebrities of our youth. You know, he yeah. had a television show that aired all over the world um, and showed us the beauty um, and of underwater life. Uh, he traveled the world on the Calypso with a, a French crew um, and explored the world and made us fall in love with it um, through his television show. But what is also equally important in what we discovered in making this film is the life that he had before and his journey before he became this international celebrity. Um, so even as it will be a discovery for the younger generations, it's, it's also a discovery for all the people who knew him as a television star. And what we found out in making the film um, is just his, importance in the development of scuba. Like he really, he invented the aqualung, which is the precursor to scuba um, that we all use in consumer diving. Um, and he, uh, oh gosh, what else can I say? There's so many things to say about his life. He was um, in a precursor to scuba. He, um, he invented underwater cinematography uh, because once he had sort of discovered what it looked like under the ocean, he wanted to share that with the rest of the world. Um, so he had to invent the camera casing to do that. Uh, so through that desire to show all of us, he invented underwater cinematography. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then he became this ardent, environmentalist. So he was the very first person to start sounding the alarm on ocean health. And um, before we even talked about climate change, uh, he was talking about thinking of future generations and protecting the environment for them. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, for, you know, I knew him as you knew him, uh, I think, in terms of uh, his celebrity and who he was and Certainly, there was a period there where I decided I was definitely going to be a marine biologist. That didn't happen. But, uh, um, you know, he was an entrepreneur. He's this television phenomenon. He's this environmentalist. I mean, all these things about his background that I, I, I did not know. Um, and he's even using terms in, in terms of the environmental argument that weren't even that common then, but we hear all the time now, like biodiversity and, and, right. and these sort of things. But, I mean, the other thing that struck me, I hadn't realized this, is that he was this gifted filmmaker, too. I mean, he launches Louis Malle's career. I mean, he's uh, he wins a Palme d'Or and a Oscar for his documentary, the well, the Silent World. I mean, that 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 would be enough for many people's uh, <laughs> lifetimes. 
That's right. He went on to win three Oscars. Um, his film was the first documentary in history to win the Palme d'Or, which is usually reserved mm. for fiction feature films. Yeah. Um, and then many Emmys. I believe he was nominated for over 40 Emmys with his television show. Um, so his love for filmmaking started at a young age as a teenager um, as the advent of film cameras. Uh, where, you know, he was there in history with that. And um, at the age of 13, he bought his first Pathé baby camera. So that was 1923. So we had access to all of his um, family, his personal archives about, so we had, we saw some of these early films that he made on three minute film reels, you know, made these little gangster movies with his friends and his brother. Um, usually they ended up with him like getting pushed into the, to the water, which was kind of, a funny theme to see as a precursor to his exploring the seas. Um, but there were so many discoveries about who he was. Um, filmmaking was a big one. Yeah. I mean, um, something I was going to ask you later, but uh, I mean, I think you have a background as a archive producer and I mean, it must've been amazing because this story is told mostly almost completely through, uh, through, through archive. I mean, what were the main challenges there? I mean, you must have, did you have too much to work with, uh, I, I would imagine? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I have worked on a lot of archival films and that's a little bit of my niche, um, yeah. but usually people bring me in when it's a story that they don't feel they're gonna find enough material about. Yeah. And then yeah. that's been my job is to pull it out of the archives and dig deep. Um, and in this case, the, the real coup was um, my director, Liz Garbus and um, National Geographic mm. uh, forging a relationship with the Cousteau Society who is maintaining the legacy of, of, of Cousteau and keeper of his archive. So we had um, unbridled access to his archives which spans over a century of material because he was shooting when he was 13. Yeah. Um, and it's quite remarkable. There were over 8,500 film reels in Paris alone. Um, and there was only an Excel document with just titles uh, of each film. And then a number, of course, because it was very clearly uh, you know, in a library system organized. But uh, that you know, could be quite overwhelming, except that I was so excited. Uh, we were all so excited to have access to this material. and. Um, that excitement, you know, allowed us to, excuse the pun, just dive right in. Like we just yeah. had to watch and uh, start finding patterns. Um, you know, we had an, a brief, you know, an idea. We had a lot of creative conversations early on yeah. with our creative team and Liz mm -hmm. and um, knew like a spine of what we were looking for. But like, like anything, you going into the unknown and just remaining open to surprise. So yeah. that's what we, wanted to show the world in our film. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that's, that's, that's really interesting because I, even I was, you know, some of those early scenes when he's first learning to, when he's first getting into diving with his, these, these friends of his, that sort of these uh, trailblazers, if you will. I mean, the quality is so well, is so good. I mean, I almost, you almost think, is this a recreation, you know, but it's, it's him in the early days of going spearfishing and things like that. It's abs absolutely am amazing. Um, I mean, how did this project come about? Because uh, what strikes me is why hasn't there been a documentary about Cousteau before now? It seems like the uh, the obvious subject. It's true. I think um, for several reasons, there you know his story is incredibly relevant today um, as we consider 
climate change and the consequences and the actions that we need to take to protect the future. Um, but you're right, his legacy has largely been forgotten. And um, you know, the, the project came about from my director, Liz Garbus, who was reading a book uh, to her son. And you know, it was one of those like children's books or for young adults, basically, that who is Jacques Cousteau. And it just piqued her memory, but it also speaks to the present of why we don't know about him. And uh, that led her down a rabbit hole, which we came out of with our film. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it led her to National Geographic, who has had a long time history with um, funding him as an explorer in his life, um, and now funding this film. Uh, so you know, all of these partners came together to approach the Cousteau Society and um, request that access. And, there were many years of negotiation before you know we were given that you're listening to factual america subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on facebook instagram or twitter at alamo pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows check out the show notes to learn more about the program our guests and the team behind the production now back to factual america it's always the same Necessity, in order to go deeper, in order to stay longer. I became an inventor by necessity. Je crois que si nous remontons à l'origine même des civilisations, nous avons une preuve que la plongée a hanté l'esprit des gens dès les premières traces de civilisation. science-fiction pour l'époque. Puis alors, évidemment, il y a eu tout un tas de petits perfectionnements. Nous l'appelons familièrement le pied lourd, à cause de ces semelles de plomb qui marchent sur le fond. Mais je voulais pas de duo, je voulais être tout à fait indépendant. Et par le père de ma femme, j'ai rencontré un ingénieur, Émile Gagnant, qui avait mis au point un détendeur destiné à alimenter les moteurs des voitures automobiles. J'ai donc emprunté un verre, je l'ai monté sur des bouteilles d'air. Et dans la Marne, j'ai commencé les essais. I took normal breaths in a slow rhythm, bowed my head and swam smoothly down to 30 feet. I felt no increase in water pressure. It was a new and promising device, the result of years of struggle and dreams. Diving could be revolutionized. En Méditerranée, 
dernière année, trois officiers de marine, sous les ordres du lieutenant de vaisseau Jacques Cousteau, viennent de mettre au point un extraordinaire appareil de plongée qui va leur permettre, sans scaphandre, de descendre jusqu'à plus de 60 mètres de fond. We had been years in the sea as goggle divers. Our new key to the hidden world promised wonders. But unfortunately, our utopia was doomed to disappear. I was thinking about some of the challenges of making this film. I mean, I must have been pressured to live up to his standards, if you will, because as you've already noted, this is someone who's won three Oscars. Uh, was there a, I mean, in trying to tell the story, do you try to, do you, and also trying to capture the moment, you know, the, the zeitgeist, zeitgeist of the time, era, you know, and I think it's done well. The music's very evocative of a, yeah. of a period. I mean, um, uh, maybe you could, is there, you know, maybe you could tell us a little something about that in terms of uh, your inspirations when you're, we're putting this film uh, together. And, and getting further along in the production process? Yeah, um, that's a gr great question for sure. We we're, were, um, you know, we could say intimidated, but I, I think more just excited, like the same mm -hmm. way I was excited about the archive. I think, uh, you know, Liz, my director is um, Oscar nominated twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's won many awards um, and uh, is extremely confident but in terms of uh, storytelling. And so I had the privilege of working with her. So that gave me confidence because uh, of all of our creative conversations. Um, but we did have a lot to live up to. You know, Cousteau was always striving as a filmmaker and a cinematographer specifically. Um, and that we just sort of entered that conversation and wanted to highlight his work in in the story of his life. And I think that has a lot to do with how we crafted the film entirely from archival materials. Um, there's very, there's no other um, visual material that we filmed. We did record a, a few audio interviews, but we stayed within the, the visual world of that Cousteau himself created. And I think um, that's our, uh, our, our testament to him and his work. Mm. Um, and, uh, in, in terms of like our, you know, what we wanted to do was to also highlight the growth of his um, character, you know, of him as a television star and the ardent environmentalist and protector of oceans that he became in his life. And to show that he wasn't always that way. He wasn't born, you know, mm. with this conviction to protect the ocean and um, he grew into that. So I think that's something we felt would resonate you know, it resonated with us as we yeah. were working, yeah. but it also, we would hope resonates with um, lots of people who, yeah. who don't necessarily feel that intention from the beginning, but through careful observation and his adventures, his explorations, uh, he wasn't always a protector of the oceans. He did, you know, some of the scenes in his early films show them dynamite fishing, where they yeah. would uh, throw in the dynamite and then pull up all the dead fish so they could study them. And they genuinely thought that was the right, you know, that's what they were, yeah. they were excited by the scientific inquiry. Um, but the great thing about him, as we observe in the film and the great thing about his life is that as he grew and learned the effects of what he was doing, he was completely happy mm -hmm. to change course and he followed this moral compass. And, um, you know, at the top of his game sometimes, like he was yeah. at the top of his game doing 
ocean research funded by oil companies, funded by British yeah. Petroleum. And he had a staff of 50 people, but he left. And mm -hmm. he left, you know, for television, um, but he left because of that moral compass. And he, he realized that. So we were hoping that would speak to us today. Yes. Well, speak, talking about speaking to us today, I mean, I think it is, uh, whether you plan this or not, but the launching of this at the time of COP26 seems uh, very, uh, very fortunate. I mean, I mean, and that's the other thing. We, we remember him as the explorer, the, the, you know, the, the, the proponent, the spokesperson for our oceans, basically. But he was there at what's essentially COP1. He was there at the Rio the Earth Summit. He was behind the scenes with the Antarctic uh, treaties. So um, it, it is amazing that this is, uh, it does seem very appropriate that this has come out now um, to, to highlight these issues that, I mean, I guess another way of putting it is, We've had Greta Thunberg. We obviously had David Attenborough. We've had David Attenborough's uh, people who've worked with him on this on this podcast a few times. But you know, there he was, even fifty years earlier. You know, right. he's this Cassandra, this almost John the Baptist in the wilderness, telling, shouting at us that this was happening, and um, maybe we're finally starting to listen. I think that's the question that his life story and our film leaves us with is, are we starting to listen? Um, and just to remind people that he did sound the alarm early on in our history, it was 50 years ago. Um, he reached a stage where he was experiencing what we kind of call today climate grief. That's like a new terminology mm. that we use, but he, he was genuinely horrified by what was happening in the Mediterranean and sought to protect it. Um, and he activated a massive public information campaign in the um, late 60s, early 70s to stop nuclear dumping of uh, mm. uh, dumping of nuclear waste into the Mediterranean. Um, and then with his foundation, the Cousteau Society, which he started in 1974, he was heartened by the growing environmental movement of the 1970s. Mm. Um, and he started these things called involvement days, which was a continuation of this public information campaign. Yep. And tens of thousands of people would go to these um, events in Houston and Seattle and Boston, and um, essentially used his celebrity but and his um, reputation to inform people and excite them about actions that needed to be taken to protect our environment. So you could see that as a positive, you could also see it as a, you know, why hasn't so much changed yeah. in these last 50 years? Um, you're, you mentioned the Earth Summit 1992, he was uh, the, the only non head of state to attend and make a speech and to be included in the official portrait um, with all world leaders, because world leaders also recognized his um, his contributions to this conversation. But coming back to today uh, with what the what activists and um, people are talking about is how how little has changed, but they're not necessarily attributing that to or associating that with Cousteau. And maybe, mm. you know, some to some extent, maybe our film can bridge that connection and make us more fervent today. Okay, I think so. I mean, we're, I, I, I must, I know that we're, we're coming to the end of our time and uh, um, almost tempted to leave it at that point about uh, these very important issues. But I guess was, I mean, 
you know, as we say in this country, he was a polymath, or you could say a Renaissance man. Maybe bring it back one last question, if I may, to his, uh, to himself as being ahead of his time and even as ahead of his time as a filmmaker. I think the one thing I drew, one there's one uh, scene where he basically talked about how he hated the word documentary. Um, and uh, he said he made adventure films, not documentaries. And I think he was definitely a, had this eye for storytelling. And it, it, that puts him right in line with the sort of golden age of documentary we find ourselves in now, doesn't it? In terms of how to, how to tell a story in a, uh, let's be frank, entertaining way that gets a message across. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things that's so exciting about Cousteau and looking at the, his life in the long tail, you know, almost like a, as an arc is just the, the way he lived everything and did everything with such passion. And that always kept him at the top of his game. And um, it, you know, when he discovered diving, he wanted to go further. And so he invented equipment that mm. freed us from being attached to ships. And so now we can, he's, you know, he invented the, the aqualung, which is a precursor to scuba. Um, mm. In his cinematography and his filmmaking, he pushed the limits of what was considered a documentary. At that mm. time, documentary were, documentaries were or factual programming were educational films with this voice of God narrator, um, yeah. you know, telling you what to do and what you should know. Um, but he didn't want to do that. He wanted to just genuinely take us underwater uh, so that we could be that, ex we could witness what he witnessed. And he had to change the style of documentary in order to do that. And um, moving forward, he started creating underwater habitats, uh, which the US and French Navy was trying to do. Um, but he had his own underwater research group of engineers and divers and cinem always cinematographers because he recorded everything. Uh, and he did that. So um, I think that's throughout his life, he was always ahead. Um, and when he came to his environmentalism, um, you know, again, it, it stemmed from his genuine passion and his honest witness of decades of experience diving um, and just being horrified about what was happening in the ocean. Mm. Um, but it's his passion that we responded to and that made thousands of people um, come out for his involvement days. Mm. And uh, I think that has a lot to say to us today is like, how can we turn our passion and our love into action? Okay. Well, I think that is a fitting moment to stop. I know you've got to run, but thank you so much, uh, Maridu, and uh, give our thanks to Liz Garbus and all your colleagues for making this uh, jewel of a film. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you for your time this morning on Factual America. It's, it's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, hopefully if we haven't scared you off, we can have you on again sometime. So uh, thank you again. Uh, just to remind our uh, listeners, we've been talking about Becoming Cousteau, which uh, releases today, November 12th in the UK, and is already in theaters in the US. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Cousteau said to me many times that an explorer has no right to be a family man. He's off following his nose to the future and to the universe. And that's how it needs to be. The children, they were not cared for. 
They went to boarding school. And Simone, she was more interested in a life on the sea. She had only one passion, Calypso. What most people don't realize is that my mother spent more time on the ship than my father, my brother, and myself together. She doesn't like to be on film, and that's why she has avoided it. She stays away from the cameras. She's the uh, strong person behind the scenes. Uh, people confide in her, and uh, she makes a lot of decisions which most people don't even know about. They don't even know if she exists. The role of a woman, that's very important. Is it been difficult to be the only woman to have a boat with a type? What do you mean? How do you call it? The berger. The berger. It's a bit that, the berger, because you keep the truck on the bottom. Always. Est-ce que vous accepteriez une deuxième femme à bord Non, absolument pas. Sûr, sûr. A big thanks again to Mridu Chandra, one of the producers of Becoming Cousteau. Uh, its theatrical release in the UK is today, November 12th. It's already released in the US in uh, late October. A big shout out to Sam and Joe at Internet Sound Audio in Eskrik, England. And a big thanks to Nevin Apanovich, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting such great guests like Mridu onto the show. Finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. And please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.